are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by St. Joe River Bows. If you're looking for a custom longbow or recurve, then St. Joe River Bows has you covered. St. Joe's is a family-owned company that specializes in traditional bows for the entire family. Plus their forward handle design, powerful limbs, and unique wood and color combinations make St. Joe's the perfect choice for the budding or experienced archer or bow hunter. Tracy offers bow options for all members of the family from the youngest to the oldest, and they even offer a trade-in program on all youth bows so that as the little ones outgrow their bow, they can trade them in and use that towards the purchase of a bow that better fits their growing needs. And for listeners of the Traditional Outdoors podcast, David and Tracy are going to include a St. Joe River Bows t-shirt with any new bow purchased. Just mention that you heard about them while listening to this podcast. So when you're ready for a new bow, be sure to check out their website at stjoeriverbows.com or give Tracy a call at 517-617-3658 and be sure to tell them Traditional Outdoors sent you. Now on to the show. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I guess perhaps I should say maybe welcome back. We've been uh, been on a little bit of a short hiatus since um, we had uh, my my good buddy. Uh, now I'm just drawing a, a blank on his name. I can't remember. Jim Neighbors. Jim Neighbors. Jim Neighbors. I, I know it as well as I know my own name, and then as soon as I tried to talk about it, it's just real plain. Jim's just going to go, well, how do you like that? Uh, <laughs> He, actually, he's probably talked to me on the phone enough at this point. He he won't even think anything of it. So, yeah. I've actually had I've actually talked to him on on the phone. Maybe I don't know five or six times since that that episode aired. Partially because I I want to keep bugging him to find out when that powder and ball whitetails is going to be out. But oh. uh, man, that's uh, I hope. I hope it's as good as I remember it being since I've talked about it so much, but it really doesn't matter. I had a, I had a blast watching it when I was a lot younger, so as soon as it's available, I'll, I'll be I'll be grabbing it. But uh, yeah, the the elephant in the room. So you know, there's obviously, uh, and every, most people know this. There's been a lot of things going on, um, and with me, and I did mention this before. Right about the time this whole COVID thing started, um, I left uh, my job of 10 years and went to work for another company. And I'll be honest, it's hit our line of work pretty hard or my line of work pretty hard. I'm still working. I still, you know, I've been extremely busy. And in fact, that's part of the reason, you know, people haven't heard much out of us the last few weeks is I've just, I've, I've been putting in way too many hours with work. Um studying and preparing for some uh, certification exams that I need to do. Basically, I'm just trying to uh, hit the ground running really hard with, you know, with this new company and, and show my value. And anyway, it's just been, like I said, a lot going on many, many hours a week, many, many late nights. And I've got a couple of guests that are, that are lined up, ready to go. And I didn't want to mail out the recording equipment until I knew it wasn't something that I was going to have to postpone week after week. So uh, I am going to try to get one of those out um, probably on Monday, and you know we'll get a we'll get a guest spot in here. I can't say it'll be next week. It might be two weeks by the time we can get everything lined up and and uh, and get the re- the recording and get the equipment back and so forth. But uh, hopefully it's not going to be as long as it has been and. It's all on me, so I'll you know I'll apologize to everybody. It's just something had to give, 
and this 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 had to give for a few weeks but uh definitely going to be trying to to get things back on point um but other than that man i'm i've been i've been working and making string i've been making quite a few strings on the weekends um and and you know taking care of the the family and so forth but Really, that's about it with me. I know you've been having a little bit of fun and, and getting out in the outdoors a little bit. I haven't at all. Uh, so what all, what all have you had going on, bud? Oh, man, I don't even know where to start. Um, I mean, we've been through a, uh, you know, we, through turkey season. We've been into fishing. We're going into another week of turkey season, which is kind of a new deal. Um, I guess, uh, well, the first thing I want to talk about, I guess, is I, is I, did, get, I did get my bow. And uh, never got a chance to talk about that, um, but I. Well, that's the one. That's the one that you won at the MLA. I did. It was the one I wanted to buy and ended up winning because David was David Darling, Kilted Bowyer, Kalamazoo Bow Works was mm-hmm. like, oh, yep. you know what? He goes, you should buy a raffle ticket, and I did, and I won. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got uh, I got to work with him, and and you know when this all this started, he got real busy with his job and the kids and stuff like that and, and building, he had a couple of bows in the works and he wanted to get it to me by Turkey season, but, um, there was no rush on that. I mean, I wasn't going to roll out into the woods with a brand new bow for Turkey season anyway. So it was, right, it wasn't right. a big deal, but he got it done, um, shortly after. And we met up and midway and, and he gave it to me and man, it, it, honestly, it's like, you know, I knew what I was expecting, and I knew it was going to be good, but because David's just, he's, you know, he's an up and coming, he's a good craftsman. He's very detail oriented. He's got a cool design and I got a 64 inch Manistee, 55 pounds. Um, it's a, uh, it's a reflex deflex, like a heavy reflex deflex, very narrow limbed. Um, and it's got that Coke bottle hill grip, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's really dished. And honestly, I didn't think I was going to like that at all when he showed it to me, um, I was like, ah, God, I've never shot these very well. You know, I like the full thing, but, but I let him, you know, I let him put whatever on there and I did add a grip and he added a moose grip on it. And, and basically what, what the bow was, it's this Manistee model and the front of it is the, uh, the one concession is that the front of it's the plaid. That's David's thing. And, uh, he picked the, uh, he picked a, or I picked a red and green plaid, really classy looking green glass on the back. Um, it's got red and black tip overlays. It's got a strip of red in it and it's this, and the wood is this Egyptian something. Um, and it's almost like a, it's really hard to explain. It's got like a ripple in it. Um, almost kind of like bird's eye does if you look close at it. Um, but he showed it to me, man. And of course it's got, you know, it's got one of your strings on it. And, uh, of course, man, this thing, I mean, we strung it up in the parking lot and I pulled it back and I was like, man, this is, this is sweet. Like, it's just, it was really smooth. Um, and I got it home and I shot it. It shoots all my arrows. Like, in fact, I'm trying to figure out what arrow I want to shoot out of it. Um, because I had a stack of those vintage 350s for a long time that I got from you. And they're, I have tons of them. And it shoots those right. well. It shoots the aluminums well. It shoots woods well. Um, but, man, I fell right into that bow. I mean, it's a nice bow. It shoots really, it's smooth. It's quiet. I mean, those manistees are real quiet. Um, and I like it. I like the grip, too. It's, it takes a little bit of getting used to. My, my St. Joe is very, it's a different wrist configuration. So, um, 
going back and forth, I got to reset myself a little bit, but otherwise everything, everything shot great. So, you know, I, I got that and that was kind of the first thing. And, um, I'm really excited about that and I can't wait to get that out into the woods too. And I'm sure I would have already taken it with me on the, uh, to the spring shoot if it would have happened this year for the MLA. Um, cause it was, it's a fun bow. Um, and then John and I jumped into turkey season. I won't get too much into that because it's, uh, it's not really over yet. We get an extra week in June and that's this week. So I'm not sure we, I'm busy at work too. So I, and so is John, John went back. So I'm not really sure how that's going to work. Good for him. Yeah. yeah, I'm not really sure how that's going to work out. Um, John was off at the time and he hunted every day and he hunted hard. Um, he had a lot of close encounters, you know, the, the first day I went out with him, we had a, we had a nice Tom at about 20 yards that 25 yards that crested this hill after fly down and I didn't even see it. I, I was looking the other way cause they had some, they had some hens that flew down on the other side we were on the top of this little ridge and I was looking down into the valley. John was about 15 yards away looking the opposite direction and that's where the Tom came in. And, uh, that Tom, John probably could have shot at him, but he wasn't quite comfortable with it, so he didn't take the shot. And I admire John for that. John will not draw and shoot if John is not perfectly comfortable and guaranteed that he can make that shot, where some guys will just wing it, you know. Um, but he's a very ethical and very responsible guy to hunt with. Um, and then uh, we kind of, you know, after that, we really didn't see a whole lot of action. We were just chasing him around a lot. And there was a lot of heavy hunting traffic. And, you know, at the time, the way, the way things are going right now, people are, people kind of go into the outdoors. It's kind of like a retreat right now. You know, sportsmen kind of have it figured out. So there was a lot of people hunting, and I think we'll have the run of it coming up into this week. And it should be, it should be better. Um... But I'm looking forward to that. You know, it's always good to see my friends. I hadn't seen John in a while, Buchin, and and uh, it, it was good to hunt with him. Um, and always fun to stalk turkeys running gun like like we do. It's it's a trip, and we we were all over the place this year. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then finally, it's well, then it rained for a really long time. <laughs> Every time I wanted to go fishing, it rained. Um, and I wade, I don't have a boat or anything. I, everything I do is wading and we have a lot of rivers around here. We know we got the flat, we got the white, the Muskegon, we got the rogue, um, all those places. And they were all, they've all been overblown every weekend. I haven't been able to get out during the week, but we were getting these rainstorms and it's just not safe waiting. The discharge is crazy and the water's tea colored and you just can't see anything. And, you know, it's not a whole lot of fun to be wading or safe to be wading chest high with a strong current. You know, you just can't do it. And so that happened to me last year in the spring during all the good fishing. And this year it's been the same thing. And we couldn't have trout camp and grayling because the uh, because of the whole COVID situation and everything being closed up there. So we, we didn't get a chance to do that either. So I finally got out. I made it a point to get out this weekend because it had fallen just enough where the discharge rate was around five feet. And I mean, I'm a pretty big guy. I, you know, I know the water really well. So I kind of stuck to places where I really knew the water well. 
And um, I went out Friday, um, Friday night, actually. No, no, no. It was Saturday. I went out Saturday morning. I didn't go out Friday night. I went out Saturday morning and it was, the water was real fast, but it was a nice sunny day. Um, I threw streamers, um, caught a couple trout, not very big ones, but it was, it was nice just to be there, you know? And I went in the morning and I, and I climbed out at around, coolest thing happened. I climbed out at around, it took a real long walk. I went real far down river and, uh, there's a trail that goes right next to the rogue that you can follow. That's really overgrown. It's like cave-like at some places. You never know what you're going to find back there. So I climbed out of the water at this one where a stream intersects the river and I, I, I ran into a, a pair that a son was teaching his dad how to fly fish. His dad had never fly fished before. He's a spin fisherman. So the two of them were trying to figure out what to do. And uh, I, I kind of went around them and up the creek and climbed up onto the muddy bank. And as soon as I got to the top of that bank, I see something brown. And I look into the, I look into the brush and there's a fawn there right off the side of the trail. And that is so cool. I know. And I'm like, you guys know you got a fawn right here? <laughs> and they're like, you're kidding and I'm like, no, he's been right. It's been right here the whole time, <laughs> and and yeah, it was really cool. And I noticed that a lot of people are seeing fawns right now. Um, that's nice. That's neat. You know, people are posting yeah. the pictures and stuff. But I got a picture of it, and it's funny because those things just will not move. They just sit right there, and you know, I got a, I got a good picture and moved on my way. And and my odds are, with my luck, I probably I probably spooked that spooked the mother earlier and it was probably blowing at me and still blowing at me because that's what does do with me all the time so that I wouldn't be shocked um but that was really cool to see that somehow I snagged like a blue heron feather no idea how that happened I don't know where it came from it was on my back cast I probably pulled it right out of the bird (laughs) 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 I literally I put it behind my back and I (laughs) And I go that, felt, <laughs> I go that felt weird. <laughs> and I, and, it, and as I came over, I said, "What the hell's on my line?" And it was, and I reeled it in, and it was my nymph had rolled. It was a blue heron feather. <laughs> and I'm like, I hope the blue heron wasn't there. <laughs> if he was, he's still ticked off. He ain't happy. <laughs> so, so that was pretty cool. And I stayed out for a good long while. I, I um, pretty much until I couldn't. I, you know, the, the current beat on me pretty good and you get tired when you're, you know, that's beating on you all day. And I, I climbed out of there and, and, uh, you know, it was, you know, God, it was great to get out into the water. And then, uh, I called, um, or I, I messaged John Mudry cause he hadn't been out yet. And like our, our anniversary for like fly fishing, me, him and Rob was Memorial day weekend, um, a couple of years ago. And we couldn't go on Memorial Day because it was over overblown. And Rob's been real busy right. with work lately. So, you know, John and I went yesterday, or I mean this morning uh, at about 6 o'clock. And, you know, nobody else was on the water, obviously, because it's pretty fast. It was colder. And um, I, I threw on a, because it was tea-colored, I thought, you know, man, I'm going to try a white streamer here. So I threw a white streamer on, and I caught a nice 12, 13-inch brown trout on that streamer it was like the two one of two fish i caught but the nicest fish i've had this year probably probably in a while um and it was a really good fight i I thought i had a stick at first like i you know it's just one of those things because everything's loose on the bottom right now with how fast the river is you know i'm like i hooked a rock or a stick or something and i'm yanking on this thing and it's moving a little bit but not and then finally i got 
it was kind of funny because I had him on and I had him up to me. And I'm like, well, this thing's bigger than I thought. And I, and I was trying to get him in and net him. And as soon as I would try to get him into the net, you know, with my arm raised way up in the air and, you know, I'm six, four and my wingspan's pretty long. So I had the rod way up in the air and I'm trying to, you know, and then it would, I had my drag set really low for some reason. So I would go to try to net him and then he'd pull line and take the, take the line out. And then I would try to get him back in and pull the line. So I'm all tangled up, turning around. I got line everywhere and John, <laughs> John came up behind me and grabbed my net and, and netted them. <laughs> but uh so you don't you don't you don't use you don't use your your fingers to feather the line anymore. oh i do i just had I, I stripped them i stripped them in most of the way and then i usually at that point i realized okay you know i i, I had some line I, I i i went to the reel and i got the line back onto the reel and i i reeled them in a little bit and then i had my line i had my finger on the line but I was just doing too many things at once and I was trying to get my net and everything else. And I was excited because the fish was bigger than I thought and the water was so high. So I was like, Oh jeez, right. You know? So I'm just like flipping around. I'm like, I cannot believe he was hooked real good though. I had to get him like, I had to get, you know, I had to get the forceps out and get the, get the hook out. But, um, the other two, yeah, I'll be honest. I, I never, I never use the drag on my fly reels. You don't. Um, uh, no, I mean, uh, uh, for, for for trout the stuff that I fish with trout and so forth. Mm-hmm. No, I'm I just use I just use friction of the line between my um my I guess my index finger and my thumb. I'd have to be on the water and actually get it right. But I mean I I I, I just never I never use the only thing the drag is for me is just to give a little resistance when I'm stripping line gotcha. uh, off the reel. Uh, but no, I was just curious. Well, normally normally that's okay, but with the water the way it was, and I had. You know, I had a, a size 12, size 14 streamer. I had um, I had two two or three split shots on there because you, you just couldn't get it down far enough. And that's about all I could handle with my four weight to flip that over. Um, so, I mean, it was taking line. Like when I had my draft set real light, the river was just naturally taking line. So I had to, I had to wheel it up a little bit. So I always keep it kind of there. But... Yeah, it was uh it was a trip. It was it was pretty funny. And uh John got a couple too. John got into a couple uh got into a couple decent browns. They're mainly like, you know, six, eight inch fish. The rogue doesn't have it. The rogue has some decent fish in it. There's a lot of plants in there. But it's uh I definitely think that somebody told me, uh, a friend of Glenn Blackwoods actually told me that streamers are like the way to go in the lower rogue. And Well, stream streamers most of the time you're going to catch bigger trout with the streamers. Anyway. Mm-hmm. And we'd always just caught fingerlings, but I've noticed that when I have caught bigger fish, they've been on streamers. So I, yeah. they're just, and I, I've never really, you know, you've been telling me to fish streamers for a while and I've always been like, nah, I want to fish streamer. You know, I'm not set up for it. You know, I, I should probably have a six weight to do that, but I've been doing it all with my four and, and I got kind of used to it just drifting them. And I, I think that kind of got me, when I went bass fishing that time at the on the flat, and I was using the black streamers, just drifting them, that kind of got me used to it. And although I will say that um, that trout I got, I actually stripped that one because there was a little bit of slack water there um, under a, and I had to move it a little bit to try to get it around a overhang, and and he hit it, he swiped it just at the right time. So, 
Um, but yeah, I want to throw streamers more actually. And I want to tie streamers. I actually, I ordered some streamers cause I was getting low. I only had the first, however many dozen I ordered. And, um, I don't have anything to tie streamers right now. I'm just, I mainly just set up for, for nymphs and dries, but you know, you get out in the water. Yeah, yeah you do. Yeah, you do. I sat there and looked at one that you tied yesterday and that, that woolly bugger you tied could be turned into a streamer. And one of the most effective streamers you'll ever fish. Actually, yeah. The only thing, the only thing you have to change is is add a a, a bead head to the front of it, and uh, instead of just having a sparse tail, put a, a marabou tail on it, and it'll be one of the most effective streamers you'll ever fish. It's pretty short hook, though. I I don't know. That's, that's standard nymph. Doesn't hook. matter as long as as long as you leave the marabou about the length of the shank. Oh, okay. Maybe a little bit less, but yeah, it'll be man, you'll. And you don't want a ton. You just want enough so that it, it kind of pulses and looks like it's it's trying to swim. But yeah. it's it's one of the best imitations of a sculpin you'll ever find. And you man, I caught more trout off those things than than probably any fly. Yeah, I really didn't period. I didn't think about that because all that is that's just a that's a Griffith's gnat. But it um basically it's just a Griffith's gnat with uh with peacock in it and couple couple lines of peacock in it and then the um and then the hackle, grizzly hackle. Well, maybe the maybe the picture of it made it look bigger than it was then. So maybe it's smaller than I thought. But the 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 woolly buggers that I tie, all it is is the um, the chenille rope, um, a wet hackle, and marabou, and then the the cone head. So or, mm-hmm. uh, the, or bead head or cone head. So you've probably got most of what you need. You might have to grab some some of that um, the body material and the and the and the beads, but they're easy to tie. And like I said, it's probably one of the I use them more than anything else. Yeah, I might have to do that. Um, I, I know I, I knew I knew I need the cone the the cone head there. Um, I don't like I'm not a, I don't like fishing nymphs. I mean I will do it. I just don't it, I, I don't enjoy it. Um, I don't like fishing wet flies and nymphs. I prefer streamers over anything. If a if a hatch is going on and I'm seeing fish rise, you know, obviously that's a lot of fun to get fish on the mm-hmm. on the rise. But unless I'm actually seeing fish rising, I don't even fool with it. I go to streamers. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I. That's probably you know eighty percent of my trout fishing is streamers. Well, I can see why. I mean, they're they're just effective. And do you do you fish a do you fish a sinking line when you do, when you do that? depends most of the time no i've got a sinking line but most of the water here you don't need it as long as you you know if you've got a a a weighted streamer um cast you know slightly up across current and it by the time it gets to the end where you actually start your the swing it it's it's settled deep enough for most of the water here you don't you don't have to you don't have to have a sinking line that's true I, i i could see that um and today was a bad example because because it's not it wasn't it, it was too high, uh, but yeah it was a lot of fun man and it got me back into tying I haven't tied in a while, and uh, you know I, I had uh, I finally picked up picked up some soft hackle and I never I'd never worked with soft hackle before so that was kind of a big a big epiphany for me because that just makes your flies look so realistic you can just do yeah. so much with it um, so. You know, I'm learning a couple things. I've learned, I learned uh, the gnat. I really like the one that you said looks like a streamer. Then I've got the other one's a sulfur, like a modified sulfur. And then um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn a parachute atoms next. And uh, John, let me borrow some, uh, 
some dubbing and stuff. He's got tons of fly tying stuff in a, in a bin, and he hasn't touched it in four years. So mm-hmm. I've been kind of – I went through that and got some stuff that I needed, some different color hackle and thread and stuff like that. So I'm going to – I'm going to, I'm going to work on tying and tie a little bit more. It's just really relaxing. I really enjoy it. Um, you just throw a podcast on or some music and just sit there and tie and yeah, it's probably feels a little bit like you making strings, although you're probably automatic on that now, but I'll be honest, the strings has gotten to where it's, it's more like a, a, a job than it. I mean, I would actually enjoy sitting down and, and tying some flies and I should, I should get out and do it again. I haven't done it in, other than one or two here and there, I haven't I haven't done it much myself in a while. Well, um, sp- speaking of the strings, and I do want to get into we kind of yeah. have a, a a subject we want to talk about. Speaking of strings, you're talking about funny things. I've got to share this with you, and really the, for it's really for everybody. And I know um, I know this gentleman at least sometimes listens to the podcast. And um, but when I start going and telling this, don't jump in because you're probably going to know who it is. Okay, and I didn't. But so, uh, yes, with everything else that's been going on, and we're actually trying to finish it up, and we're going to try to finish it up tonight, I think. But uh, we kind of took advantage of the extension on doing taxes and, and got some other things with Bella coming out of school and so forth. We just had a full plate. So um, Lori's been kind of pulling all the tax stuff together the last uh, week or so. And, and she was working on that yesterday. I spent the entire day, except the time it took to mow the yard, I was making – I was making strings. Hmm. Um, so I'm sitting in my, in my workshop yesterday and I'm, I'm serving strings and I, my phone flashes at me and I knew I had a text. So I picked it up and looked at it and it was, it was my, my loving wife and she sent me this text and I'm going to read through it cause it's really just kind of funny, but she, she just up and sent me this text saying, what is dad bod comedy tour? I'm like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> so I just responded and said, huh? And she said, she, was, she said, there's a debit and a credit under that name. She's talking about on my, on my PayPal account. <laughs> and the first thing that went through my mind is, okay, what the heck have I bought now or returned that I'm going to have to figure out how to, <laughs> how to explain? Because I have no idea what this company is. And and I just I literally responded no freaking clue I, I didn't have an idea who it was at the time, and she said well uh, I said if it was a debit and a credit typically that's when somebody orders something and for whatever reason I can't fulfill the order right away so I just refund the money I'm not going to sit on the money while I'm waiting on on stock to come in, and then her next text she says do you know a Billy Hoffman. <laughs> And it, then it hit me, and I knew exactly what it was. I busted out laughing, and I said, "Yes, I know Billy Hoffman." I said, uh, "I said, and I hope I got all this right. I'm probably missed some." But I said, "Yeah, he's a Michigan guy. He's a cop, a comedian, a minister, an author, and a podcaster." <laughs> and Lori responds and says, "Ah, uh, well, he thinks he has a dad's bod." <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, because you know, I know you know Billy pretty pretty good. I've never met him, but I've talked to him a couple of times. I do, and uh, I can assure you that he does. I, I would just. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're anyway, gonna, we're going to test Billy to make sure he's listening. <laughs> we will definitely test Billy to make sure he's listening because I, as soon as that was over, I said, "Yeah, we, Nick, I got to bring that up to Nick next time we're recording." So. Uh, cause I got a, what's, what's it hit me who it was. I got a, I got a huge kick. You know, out we know, but, we know quite a few people like, I mean, he's one of those guys that's like Jason. He just does everything. 
Right. He's into a little bit of everything. Yep. yep. But that how funny. That 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 is really it, funny. It was it was abs- and I needed to laugh. I mean I was I was yeah, you know, I'd been so I think when that came through yesterday, uh that was about nine hours into just solid twisting and serving strings. So Man. yeah, I needed a I needed a good chuckle. Um, but anyway, uh, we you know we're, we've been rambling on here and and all good all good stuff you know trying to catch up a little bit. Sure. But I, you and I have been talking about this a little bit, and I know you you were on uh, Emra's podcast. Uh, what's that been two weeks ago now? Yeah, um, bow hunting soul, and and you guys kind of started talking about this a little bit. Um, but but you and I have been talking about doing a an, an episode talking about you know hunting from the ground and. The more I've thought about this, Nick, I, I think we're going to do a, a few episodes. We'll spread them out a little bit, but um, I think it's probably the one biggest thing that people that listen to the show um, regularly ask me about. Because most years, I will take at least one whitetail off the ground. Sometimes two, but at least one, you know, almost every year. And I know that's all. That's pretty much the only way you hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know that. How do you how do you do it? I mean, you know where where I hunt, and this is them speaking. You know, they'll say, "Well, where I hunt, you can't you can't get away with that. You can't do that." Um, and here's I'm here to tell you, you can if you can if you can take a whitetail off public ground, public land in Georgia, um, you can take a you can take a whitetail about anywhere because you know the deer here get. They get a lot of hunting pressure, and I've taken whitetails on the ground as late as December. And by the time December rolls around, you I mean you know, they've been hunted pretty hard for for three months. So you know you can do it, but I think you know it takes a little bit of a different approach, um, a little bit of a different mindset. And I just thought you know we'd we'd spend a little time talking here about you know the things that that you do and the things that you look for. Um, I'll do the same. And then maybe we'll maybe we'll do another episode about you know how to how to start preparing now um, for hunting on the ground this fall. Some things that you can do between now and, and hunting season. Um, maybe one about you know how you can set up and hunt off the ground. You know the day that you find a, a good spot that you think would work for a ground uh, location. So you know we'll come up with two or three different topics uh, on this subject. And the other thing I thought was, you know, we'll we'll in, we'll uh, include the listeners. So, you know, if if a listener, any listener that's successful this fall, um, hunting on the ground, listens to the the podcast and and tries some of the things that you know you and I throw out there, we'll get you somehow tied to the podcast. Whether it's you know getting a, a picture from you and posting on the on the, the traditional outdoors website or, or maybe even have a, a couple of people on the podcast and, and let them, let them kind of go through their hunt. I think it'd be a lot of fun. So, um, gets us out of the, you know, always having a, a guest on and those kind of things gives, you know, us a chance to talk and, and hopefully get the, the listeners involved and let them have a little fun too. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. I mean, we've been, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we've just been kind of doing it for a while and, um, I get asked about it a lot too. And yeah, people throw a lot of that stuff at me. Um, it's funny. Uh, a friend of yours and mine, I think Blake, uh, he's, uh, he's in Louisiana and he goes, man, I like that ground hunting stuff that you guys do, but I can't do it. Cause we got snakes. 
Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we, we have snakes too. I'm like, I'm um, pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Steve had snakes, and I'm pretty sure Steve's had close encounters with snakes. <laughs> so, and I, I maybe I don't know if I've. I think I've talked about this on on the show before, but you know, I guess it's been five years ago now. Uh, I was hunting on the ground with a, a hammock seat, and I kept hearing noises. And finally, when I finally saw what was the making the noise underneath me, I thought it was just you know beetles or 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 maybe even worst case a scorpion in the leaf litter I'd stirred up. And it ended up being a a, a really long copperhead that had actually crawled and. His tail was on one side of my butt and his head was on the other side. And I just had to kind of sit there and be real still and let him go on about his business. But, uh, yeah, we definitely have snakes here, too. So that's just an excuse, Blake. Uh, <laughs> not not, not going to hold water with me, man. So, so Nick, I guess, you know, let's – I'm going to let you start out because I know you don't – you're not as uh, – historically, you haven't been as much of a, a prepper as I have. So – you know, let's take it from your perspective. When when you go out and you're going to actually set up and hunt from the ground, what are the things that you are doing? What are you What are you looking for in a setup location? Um, are you talking about from from topo to to you know no, as far back? No, as that? I'm just, let's no let's don't let's don't necessarily go to that. I mean, I'm assuming you've already got um, you're in a location for a reason. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm looking for is, you know, how do you choose where you're actually going to sit down and, and hunt? I mean, back in the day, I used to think, oh, that looks like a good spot and just sit there um, without knowing anything. I'm a lot more educated about it now. And, and no, I'm not as, as hard, nearly as, as scientific about it as you guys are. But um, I, I do a lot of a uh, lot of terrain hunting and and sign and, and, you know, obviously looking for the oaks and stuff like that. But what I usually do is, well, for one... I mean, I'm a longbow shooter and I'm a big guy. I'm a tall guy. So I'm 6'4". Um, I got to find good cover. And what I usually do is I, I, as I look on a map and I figure out where there's a good pinch point or a good funnel. And um, I love hunting it. I love hunting ridges and uh, valleys and stuff like that because I can see. And there's a lot of that in Michigan. And I almost hunt and I look for places that are almost elevated like a tree stand, but not a tree stand. And most of the deer that I have shot on the ground have been from positions like that because it it almost feels a little bit like I like to have, obviously I like to have game underneath of me. So if I can find a run that's skirting a ridge or, or, or a funnel, like moving into a draw, um, or a finger in a, in a hill, you know, that kind of thing. I will set up above that and usually look for some kind of a flat, something flat enough that's got some brush, um, that's got a nice tree, and I usually hammock seat, I'm hammock sit it because um, seat's actually really important, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But I, I either pack in a normal folding stool or a hammock seat. Now, I use a hammock seat most of the time, and that's just one of those, for those who don't know, I've had this for years, I actually got it off Steve, um, it is basically just canvas with a pole that straps around a tree and you sit in it like a hammock. And it's great for me being so tall cause I can adjust it to either lay back or I can adjust it to sit up. And sometimes I adjust it just so I'm on the edge of it and it's comfortable and it's great for the side of a hill. It works really, really well that way. So I can set that thing up. Um, 
I'll uh, I'll look for like I said I'll look for brush I'll look for a tree first that'll hold it I usually look for something a little bit wider because I am a big guy and I like to lean right back on it and that helps break up my profile so I look for that and I look for just stuff nearby that I can that can kind of hide me just stuff that and I'm not saying in front I'm looking for stuff that's that can break me up it's okay if I got a little bit of stuff in front of me but I got to take my bow into consideration for the draw so that's the first thing I do I know where I want to be I get into that position and then I find it I find it that kind of an elevated spot and I find a tree and with brush nearby that I can kind of scrape something together and it doesn't take much it's usually just you know if I can put a couple sticks leaning up against the tree you know decent sized sticks or I can or I can you know maybe there's a dogwood next to it or I can break up some branches off the dogwood and stick them in the ground or whatever I got to do if I feel like I'm in a um, feel like I'm at least if I'm still I won't be seen I'm good to go obviously the wind needs to be right too but that's that kind of implied um, but yeah man that's kind of my step one I'm, I'm looking for I like an elevated spot and I like to find something off a run and I like to be kind of up in the air and it's worked more than any any other way I can tell you that. So, so, um, okay. So a couple things there. Um, so you try to be, typically you're trying to be a little elevated to where you still have, um, the height advantage where you've got a little bit of an opportunity to maybe get away with a little bit more movement. Um, and I could see him coming further away. It's not like an ambush scenario where I only have like a, a second to act kind of thing yeah and we know how those turn out for you. <laughs> we do uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um and you did mention that you don't worry too much about what's in front of you um but you do you are concerned with what's behind you so you use use back cover to break up your silhouette mainly and i mean we could go into a lot more detail on that whole scenario um it, you know i now or later, but mainly, yeah, I just, because I, I try not, some people will look at a tree and think it's a ground blind and think, oh, look at all that brush and stuff that's around it. And I used to be that way too, but if there's brush and stuff all around it, like if you got a tree and a, a, a nice big trunk and there's a fork trunk sticking out from it, you're never going to be able to draw your bow because your elbow is going to hit that trunk. There's little things like that. Like I'm looking for a solo trunk with stuff I can stand up against it. Like I don't want you know, a bunch of briars in there that I got to chop out or something like that. Like, you know, cause you would think that, Oh, there's a tree there. I should be able to get in there and just nuzzle up into it. But most of the time there's a bunch of, you know, it's a tree. It grows with a bunch of other plants by it that are probably a bunch of saplings and stuff like that. So it's, it's not always like as easy as it looks. Um, I'm not looking to climb into a cocoon. You can't shoot out of that. Okay, well, in some ways, I beg to differ with you, but we'll we'll get there too. Um, but I think the the biggest difference there is, so I get what you, I understand what you're saying, and I I will agree with you, if on everything you said, period. But I will I will specifically agree with what you said if I'm going in, um, I I either have a a pre scouted spot or maybe I'm I'm uh going in blind and I don't have anything that I've pre-constructed and when I say con- when I say constructed I'm not talking about bringing in a, 
a box blind or something like that. Mm -hmm. But you're just going in, you're trying to find the best looking natural setup that requires you to do the least amount of additional work to be hunt ready. Basically. Yeah. Yep. And, and in those situations, I, I would tend to agree with you. Um, I have, I mean, hmm. no, unless I scouted, I've unless I scouted it first and I knew exactly the same spot right, and I could right. construct something like, but yeah. And, and, and here's the, and here's the, other, you know, I've done some of that. Um, and here's the other thing that sometimes happens is, you know, if I'm in a really, what I think is a really good spot and maybe I went in in the morning and I had an east wind and, and midday or later in the afternoon, the wind completely shifts and I've got to move. Um, so in those situations, you know, I kind of do the same thing. I want to find the best way um, to do as little as possible. And I've even set up before, you know, under a, with a really large tree that could completely, um, that was wider than I am, which is a pretty damn wide tree at this point, but <laughs> the tree was wider than I am. And I've actually hunted behind the tree that I was using, if that makes sense. No, I'm glad you brought that up because that's another thing you can do. Um, in fact, the first whitetail that I took off the ground with a longbow that's exactly what had happened I'd hunted one in fact it was the um that same little that same little ridge where a little bit a little bit not quite as far in as you were when you had the the bear incident a few years ago but it was along that same ridge um and I had been hunting on one side of that that old uh that old skid row logging road whatever you want to call it and the wind shifted, so when the wind shifted, I actually shifted over to the other side and, and was just using a large oak there to uh, as cover. Um, and the the buck that I shot was actually behind the the oak, so I saw him coming and watched him on one side, and I was just ready when he when he came past the tree um, to take the shot as he was slightly starting to quarter and walk away from me. Um, so yeah, I. I I think there are definitely different circumstances where I, I would not choose to set up that way, and we'll talk about those in a second. But uh, everything you said makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, were you going to say anything else about you know hunting hunting behind a tree? Or? Um, I've actually I've actually I killed my first deer like that. Um, I will hunt behind a tree. Actually, I hunt behind trees, talking you know turkey hunting all the time. That's, right. you know, as long as you give yourself a little bit of space behind the tree so that you can actually draw, I mean, obviously you're not going to just suck right up against it. You got to, you got to kind of, but if the tree's big enough and right. the, and that's a nice scenario to have where if you run into something like that, yeah, there's nothing wrong with hunting behind things as long as, you know, you've got room and can draw and, you know, you're not totally limited. Um, and I shouldn't say that you can't burrow into anything because I have burrowed into juniper bushes. I've hunted in that river cane with you. That was a really nice blind. It's just a different set of challenges in a different scenario is all it is. But So one thing that you didn't mention, um, and maybe you, and, and so, and I'll just ask, maybe you, maybe you don't put that into your consideration, but when you, when you choose these locations, are you, um, are you trying to put anything between you and the whitetail as far as where you'll make the shot? Or is it really more about 
you just want to set up where you're going to have the best opportunity to see a whitetail and you deal with how to actually pick the time to draw and shoot to keep from being detected based on the posture of the animal and those kind of things. Probably more of the latter. Okay. Um, though it is nice. I, I do, I do tend to, so it's kind of a two, it's kind of a, it's kind of a different question because not really a different question, but it's kind of complicated. So basically whenever I've had success hunting on the ground where I've had, and, and for me, a success is I had a chance to draw and shoot is basically I I like there to be if I'm watching a run or something where I think a deer's likely to come through and I have reason to believe that I do mark particular trees and bushes and things like that where a deer might slip behind as as a something that will give me an opportunity to draw on that animal um and it's bit me before but I I tend to love it when there's a tree there or there's, you know, like I said, maybe there's a dogwood bush there, or maybe there's there's something that says okay, because that drawing such a big part of it that if that animal goes behind it, I'm going to draw. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to draw as it comes on the other side and crosses that threshold leg forward, so that you know I, I my my I'm I'm not exposed. Like the motion's hidden completely. If that's right. what you were getting at, right. but where, where it's bit, what I'll say about that, I missed two deer in 2018 because I didn't pick my spot back up when it came out the other side of the bush. Um, and that's my own fault, but I drew when they went behind the tree, they might've delayed a little bit, you know, and, and I'm not really somebody who holds a really long time. And I ended up either shooting high or shooting low, usually low, um, so there's that to consider, but, but yeah, I do kind of like something there. Cause that come to think of it, I, I think I kind of just naturally do that. But, and for me, it, it kind of depends. Um, it's probably my last consideration. Um, and you've, you, like you said, you've hunted in several blinds that I've, that I've set up and hunted and, and been successful out of. In fact, I don't think you ever hunted a blind that I haven't taken a deer out of. Um, but I don't, you know that that one, that, and we were we kind of joked about it a while ago that you know you, um, you don't you like being able to see them, you don't like them just to be on top of you. Uh, and that one blind that you hunted out of that time, it was set up with that specific purpose in mind. The reason was because it was in a open creek bottom that was wide open, and there was no way you were going to draw and not be seen. Oh, absolutely. Uh, except to set up the way it was where the, the core of this blind was a, a downed uh, pine that was probably, God, that stump was probably three feet across. I mean, it was big. Mm-hmm. But it but it gave you the ability to, to draw and shoot. Or, you know, if you heard them coming, you, you could be ready to draw and shoot at a moment's notice, which can't always work out well. But if it hadn't have been for that, it would have been almost impossible to, to draw and shoot in that situation without being without being oh absolutely and i think um in that particular instance i did wait for it to cross behind there was uh the the infamous sapling that became a major award where i (laughs) where i shot it had i just waited for that deer to come out the other side of it i'd have had a great shot yep 
But the thing, the thing about that blind is, and and you and I talked about this. It's one of those things where a morning like it was that morning, where it's it's cool, it's damp, the animals aren't making any noise. Your 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 adrenaline and your nerves get pushed to the limits because all of a sudden you're sitting there and there's a deer in front of you, and in those type situations, it's it's hard to sit there and think and make an effective plan because you you've literally got a window of maybe 30 seconds mm-hmm. so you gotta you gotta you gotta act quick it, so i mean i can't we, we've joked about that whole scenario a lot but that that could happen well, to me just well the funny part you. about that is is like i wasn't as familiar with the area and you told me they were they came right where you said they were going to be and they came in around nine thirty, and it was a cold morning i remember that morning I also remember blowing the crotch out of my pants this morning, getting into the woods, and it, and I was freezing. And I was sitting there shaking, and I got complacent, but I always kind of figured they would just amble in there. Well, when they came in, it, it literally sounded like there were six squirrels running in there. Just, it, they came flying in, and they were loud, and I mean, I was like startled by how fast they came in. They were already through that first window before I had a chance to get the bow off my lap. I mean, so let me just ask you this, because uh, this this is a good point. And this is things that I think you know some people should 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 think about. Why did you think they would just come ambling in? Yeah, that was there a reason or that's all I I haven't I've I haven't seen that many deer come in like that. I I, I don't know. I I they seemed like they were. They were, you know, and well, I don't know. They, they seemed like they were being chased. Um, and so here's, go ahead. And I don't know. I just kind of figured that that's how it was going to play out in my head. I don't really have a reason for it. So let me let me let me walk through the scenario here and explain to you why that is probably the least likely way that those deer were going to come through that set. And that's probably on me for not preparing you for that but you're in an open creek bottom at that time of year there was nothing there to eat i mean there's no food source whatsoever all the any of the the browse vegetation was dead at that point from frost or it was you know it had already been frosted on and it was dying uh it's all small trees i think the biggest tree in that entire half acre that you were able to see might have been six inches in diameter and they're all you know poplars and birch there's there's no food there and there's very little cover now remember on the other side of where you were at there was probably a 20 25 yard distance between you and the pines and the pines really was that transition that security zone for them if they needed it Mm -hmm. but the deer that moved through there are basically moving off of that that um, the hardwoods and that that mountain that was to the right. It's not really a mountain, but it, you know the hilly country to the right. It looks like a mountain, and, <laughs> right? And then you've got you had the other hilly country that was to your left, which is also hardwoods. That that is nothing but a transition area between where they f- were feeding overnight and where they were going to bed, most likely up near um, the power lines and so forth, where it's just it's overgrown. It's really thick. So, and again, you're talking about public land where they're hunted heavily. You know, I don't necessarily always see them running through there, but they're not, you know, they're, they're, 
they're not just ambling through like they're you know browsing and eating and in a comfort zone it's more about they're in transition from one area to the other so you know that's a good thing to think about is you know a lot of i hunt i hunt food sources when it's applicable but i probably spend more of my time hunting transition areas and travel corridors and natural pinch points which again is what that was so you you especially when you're setting up to hunt off the ground you have to think about those things what what is the what is the expected behavior those whitetails are going to have if if there's something in there that lets them take their guard down like you know maybe they're feeding um once a, once any animal starts feeding a little bit at, at that point they've gotten to a, a place where they're a, a bit more comfortable they're relaxed enough to at least eat mm-hmm. if it's something they're just traveling through they're going to be a lot more uh they're going to a lot a lot more aware of what's going on and they're probably going to be moving and stopping less and those kind of things so just things to keep in mind and that you know i don't think we probably ever talked about that we were um, I think that was the same morning that Tom went for the walkabout. It was. And all that. I mean, it was it was a lot going on that morning. But um, anyway, that's just something to think about. I kind of want. That's why I kind of want to go through some of these things. Is really talk about what we have, what we have experienced, where we've been successful, why we've been successful, and break it up. I don't want to dump too much out at one time. Um, sure. The things that you've talked about, and I haven't, I haven't done this as much um, as you have, because I, I typically, and I, I want to spend a whole episode talking about, you know, the things that I do this time of year in areas that I may hunt from the ground this fall. But if I'm just going into an area like you did, and I've done this up in Michigan, uh, hunting with you, um, you know, there may be a situation where there's, there's just not a I know there's deer activity. I, I feel confident it's going to be in the time frame that I'm going to be hunting. And for whatever reason, there just not might not be a, a good scenario to hang a tree stand. You know, the first time I hunted up there with you, and I think it was either the first or second day, that was the, that was the scenario. We were, um, uh, I don't know the name of the roads or any of that stuff, but it's the, it's the area that, that you have hunted for years. It's where, um, uh, down in that that valley below what um john buchine named the 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 thin red thin red line or whatever it was Mm -hmm. where um i'd picked out that what i thought would be a a a heavily used travel corridor and he found all those scrapes and rubs anyway you know where i'm talking about yep we i call it the book and i hiked right i'd hiked a stand in um that afternoon and when i got back in there where i wanted to hunt and saw the sign there wasn't there just wasn't a tree to that I felt good about. So I, I basically set up on the ground next to a, I uh, was hunting in some pines and I actually think I would have gotten that deer if it had come on the other side of me. It just, you know, it just happened to come on the, on the downwind side and he winded me before I could ever get a shot off. But he was a, he was a really nice buck and I'd never been in there before. So I guess what I'm getting at is the only way you're going to get to the point where you can be successful doing this is to try it. Mm-hmm. You got to stop making excuses, Blake. Um, you you just got to get out there. And, yeah, Blake. <laughs> you know I love you, Blake. Um, but you got to you know you got to you got to you just got to try it. You 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 got to learn from your mistakes. Um, 
And when things go wrong, think about it. When, you know, if you get busted or if the animal wins you before you ever get out, what went wrong and what could you have done differently? And, and store that in the memory bank and use it the next time. Um, I don't hunt from the ground all the time. I still probably hunt 80% of the time in a stand elevated. But, I there man, there's just nothing like... And I do it a little bit differently than you. So one thing that I rarely do is I rarely try to put myself in a situation where I'm elevated while I'm hunting on the ground. If I choose to hunt on the ground, typically it's going to be a scenario where I'm I'm literally face-to-face. Um, you know, I I would say the average distance from most of the whitetails that I've shot on the ground was under 10 yards. Um, and it's a flat. I mean, it's like I said, I'm not elevated. I'm not in a hole. It's just I'm at I'm on their level. Um, mm-hmm. let me check the time here. We're, we're getting close here. We're, I think we're going to kind of wrap this one up here because I do want to gather my thoughts and you and I'll trade some messages, Facebook and so forth and, and figure out what our next one will be on this topic. Maybe we'll do this in a couple of weeks, but the, the last thing I do want to say though, um, cause I started down this path when I asked you about trying to set up where you had, um, where you thought the animal would walk behind some cover or a tree or something that would give you the opportunity to draw. And I don't, I rarely do that myself, but what I do typically try to do is in most of this scenarios where I'm set up um, and the two that, that I can think of right off the top of my head that you've hunted from the one blind that I had set up in that standard river cane and the, the one that we were just talking about in both of those scenarios, they were specifically set up, to where you know, 90% chance if I got a shot at the animal, the animal was going to pass in front of me, continue on past me, and I was going to get the opportunity to take a shot as the animal was walking away and quartering away. You can't jump up and do jumping jacks and wave your arms around, but once that animal has passed by you and they're now walking away from you, as long as you're slow and methodical, you can get away f- with movement. Um, that you can't get away f- with if the animal is dead broadside. Mm-hmm. And it has the advantage of, in my opinion, having a better shot angle as well. Um, so that's how I typically handle those instead of having something, you know, that I can wait for the animal to walk behind so I can, you know, get my bow up, get ready and shoot. Uh, I'm usually waiting or setting up so that I'm getting a quartering away shot. And in a lot of cases, that um that river uh the river king blind that you hunted out of a couple of days actually um that was set up to where you could get a shot quartering away whichever direction the deer came from whether they came from your left or your right you could still wait for that quartering away shot as it passed by the challenge most people have is you just you can't move Mm -hmm. you've got to you've got to stay perfectly still as long as that animal is in a um a path that that they can look directly at you um, and I've even had animals look at me. They know something's different. They know that something's there that's not normally there. But if you give them a little bit of time and you don't move a lot of, and don't make eye contact with them, a lot of times they'll finally calm down and just continue on about their business. No, and actually I'm glad you brought that up because the one that, that is just the number one thing right there, that if you're going to hunt on the ground, especially somebody who might be transitioning from a tree stand and that's that's all they hunt out of, is I've just learned to just be just basically statuesque. I, I'm too big to fidget. I, I, I am down and I am bow and lap 
ready to shoot, and I can sit there for a really long time. And that's one of the reasons why I wear a floppy brim hat, you know, because my I can keep my eyes, you know, I can keep my eyes lowered, and I've got I usually have a coat that zips up and covers my face like a face mask, and you know, we don't have to go into all that today. You learn little things like that, but I, you got to sit super, super still and that's it. Um, there's, you just, you're not going to get away with it. Um, and I'm glad you made that point about the quarter and away shot. The last year I actually shot last year was quartered away. It wasn't very far in front of me. It only got about, I would say five feet past me when I shot it, but that was enough. And it kind of turned around. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't take nope, much. No, it doesn't have to be, um, you know. And and honestly, I I shouldn't I shouldn't speak in in um, every time it's the same time. Like I'm always doing the same because honestly, every single deer has been different. Like it, you, you just never know what kind of situation. Usually, when I think they're going to do one thing, they do something else, and it becomes kind of a chess game. And that's what I love about it. And I've hunted right. in flats. I've hunted elevated. I mean, if but if you're asking me my preference, I'm, I'd rather be elevated just so I can see a little bit. And there's also a lot of the areas I hunt here are, are rolling hills, rolling hardwood timber ridges. So You know what's funny? I'm sitting here thinking about a few different setups that I've had, and I've got at least two that I've used, you know, not every year, but I, I go back to them routinely and just do a little bit of dressing up and so forth of the natural cover where I was actually shooting uphill and they not really silhouetted, but the, the deer were actually above me. Um, but that's a, like I said, we, we, I want to, I want to sit down and actually think about how we can break this out into, you know, at least one or two more episodes where we're talking about some of this stuff and really trying to, to, to formulate a, a, a picture. But I think I'm mm-hmm. going to, I think I'm going to call these the, the ground challenge or something like I, that. I think that's a great um, idea, and I think you and I should because now the gears are really are really going in my head right now. And I guess, you know, something that seems so simple as sitting out in the woods is really, you know, 10 years of ten years of, of doing it right and wrong. You know, you just pick up a lot of stuff. and You do, and, but that's a, that's a good thing you just said, simple. Mm-hmm. And I would say that in most situations, minimal is better. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, and the only time, and again, we, we, we sit here, all these things lead down different rabbit trails because there is no sure thing every time. Um, if I'm in a situation where I've got to do something major to create, a, a, for all intents and purposes, a natural blind, it's still a man-made, but it's natural blind. If I've got to do a lot of work to make that happen, now's when I'm doing it. I'm not doing that when hunting season rolls around. So, um, you want to, you want a whitetail, especially a wary old doe, doe, you want to get busted, make a lot of changes Mm -hmm. because they know, they, they know, they know every stick, they know every twig and you go in and start piling up a bunch of brush and so forth. You know, the day that you're going to hunt something, you're going to get busted. It doesn't matter what you do. They're going to know something. Oh, exactly. Different. I mean, especially um, in the morning when everything sounds loud anyway. I mean, you're if you're out there scratching, right. they know the difference between a squirrel and somebody who's constructing a fortress. I mean, you can't go out sure. you can't go out there and build a big old rifle blind, you know, with the cross sections to put your gun on and everything like it's not like that. Like you it's Well, even even if you're even if you're just so and I'll I'll go this far. If 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 I have to go in and do anything bigger than kind of like you were talking about moving a few sticks out of my way 
maybe leaning a, a piece of brush up behind the tree. If I got to do anything more than that, I, I either need to find a different way to hunt that spot or I need to come back another mm-hmm. day. Um, you know, carrying a handsaw and cutting a bunch of uh, small saplings down and building this big pile of brush behind the tree, you're, that's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, definitely it's, not. Yeah, you're going to get you're going to get busted. So, um, you know, in most situations, keep it minimal. If if minimal won't do in the area that you're wanting to hunt, again, now's the time. And I even keep a. Everybody knows I keep a journal. We've talked about this quite a bit. If I'm out, if I'm out scouting in season, or maybe I'm trailing a deer, or maybe I'm uh, just you know going in blind and and um, looking for a spot. If I see something, I think you know what that would be great for a ground setup. I'm making a note of that, mm-hmm. and I may go back and and do something this time of year to where I can hunt that again this fall, especially if it's things around the rut where it's a nice transition line and I know there's going to be, you know, bucks chasing does, those kind of things. You can get those ready now and you can make major changes. And by the time deer season rolls around, the deer are used to it by then. It's nothing new. But anyway, I think we beat it up. Everybody knows. I do the same thing too, Steve. I use my topo app though. And I just mark deadfall one or something like that where, oh, that might look like a pretty cool spot overlooking that run there. That might be something to check out later. You know, I'll just jot it in there with a note in the app, and that's usually really handy. My problem is if I do that in my GPS, it just becomes a spider web (laughs) of trying to figure out what, because I've got so, I enter so much stuff. I'm much better off to, I may make a waypoint in my GPS or on my phone, and then I'll just make a quick note in my journal of what the waypoint is and and why i'm saving it otherwise it gets it gets lost in the shuffle and i go back and look and i'm like i don't remember why in the heck i ever put that that waypoint in or, or whatever it is but but anyway well man we we actually just went over the hour mark and i did want to keep this one right at an hour but it it's been great to to get back on the on the line with you i'm excited about this little series maybe we'll think of other other topics like this that we can do just to kind of break up the the guest spots um but uh i've enjoyed this yeah it's been a lot of fun and it's, i think the future ones are going to be really good too and i and i hope people after we do all this will will take us up on it yeah because we i mean we'd love to if you have some success look even if it's if it's something that you you picked up from us that you wanted to try or maybe you heard something we said and said i can do it better than that i don't care if you listen to the show and you get your first whitetail on the ground this fall, we want to hear about it. So, And I'll bring this up every time we do one of these episodes. But uh, we, I'd love to have some some just random people that, that had some success this fall on the ground and get on here and tell their hunting story. I think it would be a blow to fun. Mm-hmm. All right, buddy. Well, you know, stay safe. Uh, avoid avoid the COVID. Avoid the riots. Avoid you know everything. <laughs> Stay safe, man. And uh, you know if if I can't get a, a guest lined up for next week, maybe we'll just jump in and do another one of these, um, or get the recording lined up. I can get the guest their guests already lined up. But um, anyway, look for another one of these very soon. Maybe a week, maybe a couple weeks. But but we're going to continue this. And uh, think you'll think you'll really get something out of it. And Hopefully, me and you might even learn something ourselves as we go along. Yeah, and uh, I hope you get outside, man. You you, you got to do that. Oh, I w- you know what? Thank you for reminding me. So, yes, I am going to be able to get out because um, our local NGT club is we're resuming our shoots next weekend. So we've missed a couple because of the the uh, social distancing and stay at home stuff that's been going on. But 
Um, we are opening back up next um, next weekend, so I will be flinging arrows come next Saturday. That's awesome. And we're not we don't to we don't it. got anything open. I don't know what's going to open up here for shooting. Um, some small clubs are doing some things. I just I guess we're going to have to wait on GLLI this year, but. Uh, my my last thought on this whole deal and how crazy everything right now is gang just get outside in the woods and get off facebook and get away from it you'll feel a hundred percent better because when you're out there nothing's going on it's normal very true yep. very true the the trees don't have covid the animals aren't <laughs> rioting everything will be good so Unless you unless you manage to to hook a hair a blue heron in your back, <laughs> then there might be some riding going on. But, but anyway, well, thank you, buddy. Everybody, we really appreciate you you hanging out, listening with us uh, again. My apologies for the the slight delay in getting a new episode out, but I'm gonna do my best not to let it happen again. If uh, if things turn around and, and work starts bearing me again, the next time I'll try to let you know ahead of time so you'll at least know to expect it. So until next time. Hope you enjoyed it. Take care, everyone. Talk to you real soon.